So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. The second reading is from Colossians chapter 3. Verses 18 to 21, and that's on page 1184. Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. This is God's word. Well, good evening. Welcome back after Easter. If you've been away, my name's Matt, uh, one of the ministers here. And uh, we're back in the book of Colossians for the next few weeks. So uh, families this evening, work next week, um, how to relate to the world the week after. And we're in Colossians, especially this evening, Colossians chapter 3. It's a fairly short reading, uh, fairly uh, to the point. Wives, submit to your husbands. Uh, husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. All seems very straightforward, doesn't it? Maybe not. Let's, uh, let's pray. Let's pray. Help us, our Father. You uh, know where each one of us is, and we thank you for your word. And we pray that your spirit would... Apply your word to uh, each of us this evening. Change us, transform our families, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this then is, uh, is a chapter, a few verses, uh, here in front of us, on families. And families are at the centre of who we are in many ways, for good uh, or for ill. Uh, and uh, events, often we look at events and we're trying to work out what the relationships in those events are like. So it's, it's interesting, isn't it, with so is it Titanic uh, memory day today, 100 years on. Actually, some of the many of the stories that have been uh, in the press this week have been stories of families, incredible things that people did for each other. Families are just at the center of uh, who we are as we look at uh, events or take our films. I mean, there you go, Titanic. I don't know if you've been to see the 3D version uh, yet. I don't know if it gets any better in 3D. I'm not sure. But there, there you've got, you got Leo and, I don't know. Well, it was good, wasn't it? Was it good? I don't know. we talk about that later. No, okay, okay. Okay, it wasn't. Um, but there you've got, you've got Leo and Kate, Titanic. A few years later, did you ever see that film Revolutionary Road? I mean, extraordinary. Exactly the same two people, exactly the same two actors. But they decided to make this very different film together. I mean, there is a, there's the opposite of what you get at Titanic. There are two people just at each other's throats relationships, families, for good or for ill, or take uh, culture at the moment. So debates about what the nature of marriage is, 
is at the centre of the things that we talk about. Uh, Will and Kate have put marriage back on the back on the map. Anniversary, uh, two weeks time, I think, uh, coming up soon. I guess you can buy a mug of uh, the anniversary if uh, if you so desire. Or think of um, so families. We've got uh, husbands and wives, but think of children as well. So think of the riots last summer. What were some of the questions that were coming out off the back of the riots? Well, what's happened to families? Uh, where are the parents of these teenagers? What's going on there? Those sorts of questions. And so we come to the Bible this evening, and I don't know what you make of these verses, but it can be at first glance that it just looks a bit underwhelming. And we've got short verses here. Is this what the Bible has to say? Is this, is this the solution to the problem? I mean, doesn't it, doesn't it just look out of touch? Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Is, I mean, is that the best the Bible has to say in our culture? And, and you look at these verses, and of course it's very easy, and we're quick to spot apparent inequalities. I don't know if that was your reaction as you looked at these verses. I saw a study this week into the sexism of our street names. I don't know if you saw that, the sexism of our street names. So uh, 45% of streets in Rome are named after men. Uh, 3.5% of streets in Rome are named after women. I don't know what you make of, of those sort of statistics. I enjoyed the comment that someone... Um, Someone wrote on, on uh, an article. Uh, he said, my wife and I, have had, we've had a chat about this. We've noticed the inequality of street names. And we've decided to rectify the imbalance. And so she's decided to change her name to the M25. And uh, <laughs> our daughter's going to be called the A303 or whatever. <laughs> very tempting to just write these sort of passages off very quickly. But of course, 21st, Western, 21st century Western culture is not the perfect culture. Other cultures, worth just bearing in mind, other cultures, different times, different geography, would accept these. The other thing to say is that this isn't all that the Bible has to say about family relationships. So we could have read from Deuteronomy and seen something more of what the Bible has to say of fathers and children. We read from Genesis 2. There are other passages, Ephesians 5. It's not all that the Bible has to say about these relationships, as if what we need to do is, first of all and only, look at roles. You know, work out, um, okay, pink jobs, blue jobs, that's it. Let's go home. That's all very clear and straightforward. For a start... For a start, if you've been here in Colossians, uh, do turn the page up if you lost it, 1184. For a start, do you remember chapter 3 and verses 13? We've already just been told that in all of our relationships, in all of them, uh, we're called to bear with one another, to forgive, to put on love. That applies to husbands and wives. It comes straight out of those verses. And so the God who came up with that... Those wonderful truths is the God who wrote these verses, had these verses written for us. So let's give this passage a chance to speak to us. And I think think we'll find that actually we may be surprised by what it says and what it doesn't say. Now the main thing in these verses, the main thing in this bit of Colossians, is that we are called to serve one another. That's the heart of what all of these relationships are about. Is it, if you look at uh, them, it's about how you are to serve the other person in the relationship in which you are. So this is about making an ongoing decision, an ongoing decision to serve each other in our families. That's what, um, actually that's what Christian maturity is. So we're looking at the book of Colossians. That's where it comes to. So we've been in a theology of, of chapters 1 and 2. Jesus dying on the cross. What did 
What was the purpose of that? Well, it was to forgive us, to create a new people, and then to transform our families as one of the things. And that's what we're looking at this evening. And there are different ways that we serve depending on the relationship that we're in. And so we'll we'll just take these in turn. We'll look for a start at wives and husbands and then more briefly at uh, children and parents. So wives and husbands are called to serve one another. That's the heart of what's being called here. Wives and husbands serve each other. Verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Now immediately, immediately we, he, we seem to hit there an insurmountable problem. Wives are called to submit. What's going on there in our culture today? We, what's going on with these verses? Wives called to submit. That, it's medieval, isn't it? What's, what is going on? Can I just say three things just right off the start? So actually, this isn't quite on, on this point of submission, but maybe it was worth saying at this point. Some of us are immediately sitting here thinking, I'm, I'm not married. I may not marry. I don't know. But it, had I known that this was the sermon that we we're on this evening, I probably wouldn't have come. Some of you are maybe, I don't know, you may be sitting here thinking, I hate these sort of sermons. Um, you're wondering if you could get across the, the floor and out the door. The, the, the thing that stopped you so far is the big patch of no man's land between, uh, between you and the door. Uh, believe me, it's crossed my mind as well, but I think you'd notice if, uh, if I... Um, Look, this can help us, if this is us, um, not to idolize marriage. Marriages are called to serve one another. And it can help us as well, if that is us, to encourage our friends who are married. We all have conversations, friendships, where we just don't know what to say. How, How do we help our friends who are married? Well, these verses can help us in that. Back to that word submission. Uh, Wives are called to submit to their husbands. I don't think this is uh, saying particularly at this point something about wider culture. Can a woman be a CEO of a a firm? We're going to have a question time next week. Those sort of questions you might want to put in there. And we could talk about uh, that next week in question time. But what is um, submission then? Well, it's not... And here's the, here's the big thing, just to say right off the start. Submission is not about inferiority. It's not about inferiority. It's not about someone being a lesser person or something like that. The Bible never uses submission to mean inferiority. In other words, God has a, what do you call it, complementarian view of the sexes. We are equal but different. We're equal but different. So Genesis 2, the bit we had read, we are equally made in the image of God. We're equally made in his image. But we're differently made as well. We heard that in our, in our singing a little bit earlier. Some of us can get to the higher notes. Some of us can't quite get to the higher notes. We're, we're, we're differently made. And that's not just a sort of surface veneer, a mask that we have. It goes right down, right down to each chromosome, to XX or XY on every cell. It goes all of the way down to that. We're made differently and just because someone is called to submit does not mean that they are inferior now i know that's hard to get our head round when we when we come across those verses at first but think about it children in verse 20 are called to submit and we would never say we'd never say that a small child dependent on their parents is a is a lesser human being never say that and yet they're called to submit would never say, for example, of Jesus Christ, who submits in the garden to his Father's will, that Jesus is 
somehow less God. He's not. And yet he submits. I think we recognize in our culture that someone does need to lead. We submit to good leadership. So we need uh, generals to lead soldiers. Uh, prima ballerinas need a, a strong guy to lead them around the dance floor to do the lifts. We, we need that. You know, that's how it works. There is no such thing, in other words, as a leaderless team. We either select or things will self-select. Now, do you see that? I know that sounds counterintuitive because I don't think our culture particularly has a, has a category of submission that is not inferior. I think if you push, push our culture on that, they'll see that. But I, I think that's counterintuitive at first. The Bible speaks, has a, a clear category of submission that is in no way inferior. It can hold those two things together. So that's something of what it doesn't mean. What does it mean then for a wife to submit? Well, the idea is to voluntarily put yourself under your husband's loving lead. To voluntarily put yourself under your husband's loving lead. So this word submit, it's used nearly 40 times in the New Testament of Christians in lots of different relationships. We're called to submit to civil authorities, uh, church leaders, wives here are called to submit to husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now this isn't about submitting to husbands, I don't know, veto for date night. It's not, it's not about uh, that, you know, um, Rambo 3, 4 pack of lager and Call of Duty 56 again. You know, it's, not, it's, not, it's not about that uh, sort of thing. This is, it's not about staying at home in servile submission. Uh, nor is it about being passive or never taking the initiative. I think it's about... Uh, that It's certainly not submitting to a husband if he's violent or calls you to disobey God. It's not that. So again, what is it? Well, it's about putting yourself under the loving spiritual leadership uh, of your husband as you serve God together. You look at passages like Proverbs 31 where the woman has both activities in the home and outside of the home. Women in the Bible are called to live with wisdom and energy and dignity to be a source of wise advice to their husbands, a partner who challenges him. Now, how does this work in, in practice? What would that look like to submit to a husband in, in that? Well, I've been on the phone to a few married friends uh, this week. Quite, quite a few friends have had a surprising phone call from me. Usually it's been along, along the lines of, help, help. I've got this sermon on the What does this look like in your, in your marriage? So I think of a friend I spoke to this week, and, and here's the situation for them. They are, they're at a big decision moment uh, in their lives. He's out of uh, contract, and they will have to move out of their, the home, which comes with the job in a couple of months. And they don't know where they're going to go. They've got no idea. And so they're talking, they're praying, they're doing what they can. And they come with different and complementary perspectives that feed in on the, on the situation. But at some point, as, as the weeks go on, they will, they will need a decision. If there's nothing obvious, they will need a decision. They'll come to it together. But if, I guess if there were to be a stalemate at that point, if there was a stalemate at that point, then I, it, it falls to him to make the call for the good of the family and to take responsibility for that. I think that's, I think that's something of what that would look like. Not, in a sort of, not an overrule, not a veto. They're working it through together. That's what they're seeking to do. And that's what the, the wife in Colossians is, is called to do. And, and as, 
As the husband leads in that way, he's called to, uh, verse 19, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So this teaching for women should never, it is never actually in the Bible, is never ever separated from verses like this next one. In Ephesians, it's exactly the same. You get a call to wives, and immediately you get a call to husbands. The two go together. You can't separate one out from them. The Bible never does that. And in these verses, I think there are two surprises. As you look through verse uh, verse 19, husband, love your wives. One of them's a, a surprise for them then. And another's a surprise for us now. The surprise for them then, I think, would have been this. You're sitting there in Colossae, you're listening to the the sermon, you're a guy, and you're in the culture of your day. And you hear verse 18, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And you expect the next, next verse will be this. And husbands, keep your wives submissive. That's what you'd be expecting is the the next verse, because that's what the culture of the time was. Wives, submit. Husbands, keep your wives submissive. It doesn't say that. In fact, nowhere, nowhere in the Bible are husbands told to make their wives submit. Nowhere. Or to keep their wives submissive. Nowhere. Not once. Nowhere. (laughs) It's not there. You can't find... and, And so, here's the thing. If a husband... Ladies, here's the thing. If your husband, after this sermon, nudges you and says, you see here, the Bible says that, uh, that you need to submit, uh, then you are to <laughs> nudge him back and say, look, you concentrate on your bit. You concentrate on your bit because my submission is a willing submission before God to you under the God who loves me. See, it's... It's something that women choose to do. It's not. It's never in the Bible. It's something that husbands call their wives to do. Never. Not once. Nowhere. But let me just ask maybe some questions for wives just um, uh, in uh, in this. Uh, Wives, have you... Just ask some questions. Have you you given permission to your husband to lead lead you in that? Are you encouraging him to do that? to, To lead you spiritually? Um, are you praying for him? We'll get some questions for husbands in a minute, but just some questions for wives. Are you praying for him? Are you collapsing under him? That would be one temptation. Just being passive, not not ever taking the initiative or joining in on the, the decisions, just being passive. Or are you seeking to control him? That would be the other uh, way of, of getting it wrong. And last question, will you forgive him as he seeks to lead you? Will you bear with him as he seeks to lead Now, I think that a wife will want to do that if a guy loves, as described here in these verses, because that's the second surprise. And I think it's more of a surprise than us, for us, than it might have been for them. And it's that Paul says, verse 19, Husbands, love your wives. Do you notice? That's a command. He's commanding husbands to love their wives. Now, why do we find that hard? Because... I guess in our culture today, the main way that one of the main ways that we'd think about love is it's, it's an emotion. And it is an emotion. It's a deep emotion. But it's not just an emotion. It's a, well, it's a verb here. It's an action. It's a decision that you take to act to love someone else. 
because feelings come and go. Feelings come and go. But what husbands are being called to within the covenant of marriage is to make a decision to love, to act, to love their wives. Even when the feelings, actually sometimes in spite of feelings, I guess, in spite of feelings, you've made a decision, you've made a covenant, a promise. And that is why marriage is God's gift to us between a husband and a wife. A gift as a, uh, a safety belt, if you like, to keep us in the marriage. It's a public promise that is made to keep us in that, even when feelings come and go, to act in love for the other. And so the surprise is, I don't know if this has surprised you, but that behavior follows actions. That behavior follows actions. You make an action and actually, um, so that's the same thing. Feelings, said exactly the same thing here, haven't I? Behavior follows action. Feelings follow actions. So you make a decision and actually often the feeling comes. Sometimes the feeling is there before, sometimes it waxes and wanes. But actually making a choice to love can change our feelings. Let me give you an example. When I was a, when I was a teacher, uh, actually when I was teacher training, uh, I had a car, it was an old rundown VW Polo. Was, um, the start of the PGCE year, we all got our placements of where we were, where we were traveling to. And uh, I was traveling about an hour and a quarter south of where I was, down to, down to Essex. And at the start of the year, you had to declare if you had a car, if you could, you could, you could drive um, anyone. And so I put my hand up and said, I've got a car. And then I was told um, that I would then be driving three people in, in the car every day. That was my car. It was fine. It, was, it wasn't a problem. But um, I have to say that the, the guy who sat in the front passenger seat at the start of that year we had two terms. Every morning, we would just be driving down to Essex at, I don't know, 6.30 in the morning. You know, I'm not at my best at 6.30 in the morning anyway. And so there I am with a guy that, I have to say, at the start of the year, I just didn't, we just were totally different. There's nothing really in common between us. I wouldn't have chosen him particularly as a friend. He probably wouldn't have chosen me as a friend. And yet, we were, we were in kind of a covenant relation i mean we were we were literally seat belted in next to each other every morning for two terms now at the start of it i thought well do i you know do i commit to this as a friendship or not do i make a decision at some point during that time i guess i made a decision i thought well, it was better to have a conversation in the morning and, tr- and give it a go than just you know sit there you know for an hour and a half like that so I, we started to do that and you know the strange thing was actually there were two people who fell asleep in the back every you know every day didn't get to know them at all but this guy <laughs> this guy at the end of the second term in the third term actually we when we didn't have to drive to our teaching training anymore we kind of hung out now i'd never have if, if we hadn't been literally seat belted in it would never have happened but we were it was a, it was like a covenant relationship in a sense we were thrown together bolted together and so our actions, well, they changed our feelings over, over time. Actually, we, we kind of became friends through that. Now, just you, you see that? That is why marriage, God's given it as a gift to us to, to tie a husband and a wife together. Some of you will be saying that publicly in the next few months here. And, and, and that is a gift that God has given us so that when our feelings come and go, we're tied in for life so that even when the feelings change. Actually, we're committed to that. And our feelings can flourish and grow 
in the light of that. And so can I say to you that if, I don't know how feelings are in your marriage, if you're married at the moment, but choose to love again. Choose to love again. That's what Paul is saying. Husbands, love your wives. Choose to act in a loving way towards them. When you get home tonight, choose, make a decision to do that. Husbands, do what is best for her to grow in Christ. Decide to act, to sacrifice for her good. Keep going in that. Protect her so that she flourishes. Husbands, love your wives. And he goes on. Don't be harsh with them, I guess. Particularly adds that for husbands. Don't be harsh with them. So some questions for husbands now. Let me ask you. How are you going at praying for your wife? Are you praying for your wife? Maybe it's just slipped off. Maybe the pattern's not the same as it was. Get going again. Get going again. Other questions. Where, where do you need to protect her from yours or her unrealistic expectations? Where do you need to protect her from that? Are you abdicating? That would be one way of falling off the horse. Abdicating responsibility. Or dominating? That would be the other way. Let me ask you. Are you using, or have you been tempted to use physical threat? Has it got got to that? And if it hasn't, have you told her that if you ever do that, she has full permission to phone your friend, your best man? Have you given her permission to do that? I think you need to. Husbands choose to love your wife let me just say something to us from these verses to uh, us many of us uh, here I guess would be unmarried the temptation I think as you read these uh, verses is to go okay so I'm I'm a guy so I'm now looking for someone who's in verse 18 I'm looking for someone who's good at submitting. And a husband, so so you're a girl sitting here and you're thinking, so I'm now looking for someone who's, someone like uh, verse 19, someone who's going to love me. That's all very, that's the wrong way around actually. It's tempting, isn't it? That's kind of how we come to it. But actually, these verses help us. If if we're, somebody thinks we may marry, might want to marry, it helps us to know what to work on in ourselves. Not what to look out for in someone else, but to know what to work on in ourselves, to pray for in ourselves, that we would grow into people who will serve someone else, who will serve someone else if marriage happens. I spoke to another friend uh, this week, who was my sort of towards the end of the week phone call, and uh, I said to him, a married guy, guy whose marriage I greatly respect, and I said to him, what do you wish you had uh, known before you married or what do you th- wish you could say to yourself uh, as a single guy if you could have spoken to yourself at that point and he said this I would have said to myself um, stop thinking of a list of attributes in her and start working in your own heart at being someone who serves in other words he said that it's very easy to, to start with the, the list of what other people are like and the attributes there But he says the problem is that immediately that is now a pattern of them serving you. And you've started that as a single person. A pattern of they serve me. And he said in marriage that's very hard to to get out of that pattern. I actually need to start to practice, to think not about what sort of guy or girl am I looking for. But what sort of guy or girl do I want 
to be if I seek to marry. Now he went on to say it doesn't mean you don't marry someone that you don't, don't like, but it does mean that you start working hard now on being the guy or the girl who serves others and to pray about those things in yourselves. Do you see in these verses how these two things complement each other? Wives, submit to your husbands, but husbands, you're to love and protect and serve your wives. Let me take a, a risk and, and um, illustrate this with a ballet illustration. Um, so it's a verbal ballet illustration, so I'm not actually going to... to, to um, uh, there's a great dancer called, uh, apparently called Margot Fontaine. Some of you will have heard of her. Margot Fontaine was in the Royal Ballet uh, in the 60s and 70s. She was the prima ballerina. Uh, she died in 1991. She was a, apparently a wonderful, wonderful ballet dancer. A guy called Rudolf Nureyev uh, was the best ballet dancer in Russia uh, at that time. He was strong. He was elegant. But they were very, very different. Uh, he was from Russia. Uh, she was she was from Rygate actually, so uh, they were quite they were from quite different places. Uh, he was 24, um, she was 42, and he left he, he he left Russia in the 60s to come over here to dance in the Royal Ballet because he wanted to dance with Margot Fontaine. She was 42 when when that when that happened, and her career everyone said at that, that moment was sort of winding down. Everyone thought that she was she was about to retire. Actually, they thought that was the end. Rudolf Nureyev came over. And he used his strength, his career, I mean, he was a fantastic dancer. He used it to, to serve her. And everyone would say, I spoke to a friend who, who used to be a ballet dancer just this afternoon. I asked him about this, and he said the incredible thing was, uh, her career was coming to an end. Age 42, it just went through the roof. She absolutely flourished. She danced her best at that point. She flourished as a dancer. And she would say, as she looked back on her career, that it was Rudolf Nureyev who took her to a new level. He made her, I mean, she was a good dancer, but she learned about dancing from him. He, he used everything he had, he put it at her disposal, and she just took off. Now, that is the, that's the picture here in marriage. The, the guy is to use his strength, all that he has, to serve the wife so that she flourishes in the Lord and grows. That's the picture. Why submit to your husband? What sort of woman wouldn't want to submit to a guy who's going to do that for her. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, choose again to love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So there's the first thing in families. Husbands and wives serve each other. Secondly, and more briefly, children and parents serve each other. And this will be briefer. But let me just acknowledge as we come to this, the, these second verses, let's read verse 20 again. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Let me acknowledge first of all that, that many of us will be from different cultures here. And just to, I guess, generalize a bit, in the, in the West, where I, I guess it's true that um, there's a decreasing obligation of children's ties to parents gener generally. In the East, a stronger obligation of children to parents, again, in, in general terms. And so in the West, it would be easy to hear, um, obey your parents, and for this to be like uh, water off a duck's back. 
in in another culture would be very easy to hear obey and um, it would be the opposite of water on a duck, off a duck's back. It would um, you know it would, it would be crushing in one sense. So just something on the words here. Uh, children. Children could be um, a word used of, of any age. In the parallel passage in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, it's applied to those who are being brought up by their parents. So it's probably those who are still under the care or the provision or under the roof of their, their parents. Um, fathers in verse 21, again in a different passage, it's used in Hebrews eleven twenty-three. There it means parents more widely. It could do that here probably. Is, uh, is especially a word to fathers. But just because of time, and I guess to speak into our context here, let me just, um, and again, asking question time next week on this, let me just say something into, I, I guess, our context at the evening congregation here. Most of us here are not being uh, brought up by our parents uh, anymore. Might be a couple of teenagers snuck in, I don't know. But, you know, we're not in that situation But it may be that some of us are still under the roof of our parents financially. So students, maybe your parents are paying for your tuition fees. Some of us, I don't know, your uh, parents are paying for your your wedding or your house. I don't know. And so there may be some obligations. Not quite to obey. I think the word obey is particularly of those who are being brought up by their children at that time. There would be some obligations for us, certainly not to disobey God, but we're always called to honour our parents. It's the fifth commandment of the ten. Jesus honoured his parents sometimes as he was in his public ministry. He had to disobey them as they called him to do things to serve his father. But he always honoured his parents. Even at the cross, he cared for his mother from the cross. Extraordinary. So we're always called to honour our parents but it may be that we, if we are under their roof financially and they say things, then actually we may need to listen. So they say you, you can't go traveling or you can't start working for a church until you've paid off the debt that you owe us. Actually, we may need to go with that. Uh, they, they, they say we don't want you to go on holiday. We want you to work on your exams. Actually, we need to hear them on that. We may need to give ground on some of the wedding expectations. I know that's hard. But do you see what we're being called to do? We're being called to serve our parents, honour them, if we're not under their roof financially. Others of us here this evening would be independent financially. We're married. We're, we're, in that case, we're a new family unit, biblically speaking. We're a new family unit. But again, some of us are just at that balance shift in our relationship with them, where actually we, we are realising that we have an obligation to care for them. Um, I mean, there could be lots of ways to apply that, that. But let me just mention one I was reading this week about um, someone giving advice to someone else on what to do if, if you had a... Um, if actually your relationship with your parents wasn't, uh, wasn't great, and, and yet they said to you, we must come and live with you. So this was a particular situation of a manipulative uh, parent, actually who was quite destructive for the family, but who was saying, you... Uh, you are our, child, our child, you have to obey us and we have to come and live with, with you. Now what do you do in that sort of situation? Well, the, the principles that the person gave on this, and they may just apply more widely as, as we seek to honour our parents, are, are one, be open-eyed about a, a decision like that. Be open-eyed about the, the things that will be good and the things that will be hard about that. There may be, there's, there's freedom, there may be freedom to say, no, we're not, 
called to honor but not always to obey. Secondly, and I think this is the most helpful thing in, for me and maybe for you as you seek to care for your parents and honor them, is to be proactive in reassuring them of, of your love for them. Now, now hear me rightly, that doesn't mean that uh, you have a close relationship or even you feel like loving them. Actually, it may be very hard to do that but to where you can, to reassure them of your objective love. In other words, the love we've heard here, which is to act in a loving way towards them. So be open-eyed, be proactive. Thirdly, be, be candid in just stating the issues and to set expectations on that. Now, that may apply more widely. For some of us in some of the tricky situations we may find ourselves in as we seek to honour our parents in everything, as we please the Lord. Now let's close and try and draw all of this together. What's this, these verses? What's the, what are they all about? Well, they're all about Christian maturity. The book of Colossians has been about that. The Colossians thought that maturity was having lots of angelic experiences. Um, we might think, I don't know what, what we might think, maturity might look like how much Bible you know here. I don't, I don't know. might look like that. But Colossians says maturity is about how much Bible you live. It's how much Bible you live and whether we serve others in our family. That's what Colossians says Christian maturity is. How are you getting on in serving those in your family? How are you doing? How are you doing on that? Not as mature as you thought all of a sudden. It's hard, isn't it? Easter, you know, a weekend over Easter and suddenly you think, I thought I was quite a mature Christian. Actually, I... Not sure I serve people as I should. You know, that's my experience. Failing? Well, join the club. Join the club. We know none of us are as mature as we wish we were in serving our families, our husbands, our wives, our parents. And so let's end before we sing again at the cross. Because Jesus Christ is the is the perfect protective husband. Jesus Christ used all of his strength to sacrifice himself to pay for our failure. Jesus Christ is the one that we go to if we're not married and we wish we were. Jesus Christ is the one we go to if we're married and we're finding it hard. He's the perfect husband who paid for our failure so that we might know him, might know his father as the encouraging father. Husbands, love your wives. Fathers, don't embitter your children. Our heavenly father is the perfect father. And we know in the garden that Jesus, in the garden of Gethsemane, didn't feel like loving us. It wasn't that we were a really lovable bunch of people. Actually, we, we know at times it was hard and costly. And yet he chose to love us. He chose to love us. That we might flourish eternally. And he can teach any of us. He can teach us to serve others in our families. We'll need his help. So if you've never come to him, if you've never come to him, then tonight would be a great night to ask for his help as you seek to serve others for the first time. But if you have come to him, will you ask for his help again with me? Let's pray. Some of us are 
um, in relationships that we're finding uh, hard at the moment. Some of us uh, aren't in relationships and we find that hard um, in marriages, in broken families. Lord, we find this so hard often. Uh, Our feelings aren't an accurate guide of how we should act. We want to act in love, but we need your help. And we pray that you would strengthen us to serve those around us. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name.